0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Above Board Podcast. You might notice some changes to our show. So we have a new cover art. Uh, we actually made a change to the name of our podcast as well. It's just now the Above Board Podcast. But what hasn't changed is your same great host. And today we have Matt with us. What's up, Matt? Hey, buddy. Long
1: time. No, has it been a long time? Let's see. Uh, about over a, month. a month
0: since we've recorded. Yeah, we it's been to at wait. least
1: two, two of- Yeah, we don't have, we're missing the Rich B. God, we love the Rich B. He brings such amazing, he is like our counterpart to this. There's this weighting of finance and math and numbers. And then we have Rich on the other side of it bringing all of the mindset. Well, you do some of that too. And the lifestyle and, you know, that other element to which I I love blending all of these things together. And by the way, I just listened to our last show. I was driving in the car yesterday, running errands. I had 30 minutes and I popped on uh, the one with Raina. Can I just say, uh, and I know we've talked about this, at 22 years of age, did either one of us think of the things that that she's thinking of? I mean, I I, I try not to be like cynical about it. Okay, what does a 22-year-old know about mindset? Come on. This is the millennial generation.
0: Like everyone's touchy feelings. Well, gener- you're wrong. It's a Gen whatever. Z. I'm the millennial generation. But yes, uh, continue. What, whatever continue. they call them these days. But anyway, my point was, I sat as I was
1: listening to it, I was bringing myself back to 22 Which I was a total mess in, and if I didn't have the support of the strongest woman I know standing next to me, my wife Lauren, God only knows where I would have ended up. But using the word "grounded" at 22 for me still meant I was probably getting stuck in my room, not you know trying to figure out where I'm going (laughs) in life, and not you know maybe overthinking things and being present and in the moment, and all those things she talked about. And I just sat back for a moment and I was like,
0: "Who is this? Uh, I know I would not." Was, hey, I have a question. Was Mama Andrea still grounding you at 22 years old? <laughs> yeah, she, from far away. You know, she
1: wasn't here in, I wasn't living with her. Listen, I left home at 18, although yeah. I didn't cut the string off until way longer than that. But That's yeah, so both, funny. both Mama and my dad, for that matter, uh, were both very present in my life still at that age. And uh, again, that, that support system that uh, she has, I, I only had really one strong support system at that time.
0: In, yeah. Uh, Rain is sharp. I mean, that's why oh, she's such an asset to our team. So is Mackenzie. And I mean, it's, we've got some really valuable employees at Canterpath, but yeah, Rain, Rain and I had a good time. She doesn't know this yet, but I'm thinking about sending her a, uh, like a blue Yeti mic so that we can, cause she's going to be coming on the show more and more. Yeah. I think we're having a lot of fun with it and we didn't talk about this yet, but I did mention, I just want to go back to this real quick. So that did Rich talk to you about the podcast cover? Did he say anything? I vaguely because I like I look really sharp in
1: it. Like I look musk. I feel like you, the what you've done to it. You don't like how you look? No, I. You can see a lot more of the wrinkles. I think now. That's just. But I feel like the colors are very vibrant, and I really do get a new look to it. I can't recall if he said something specific.
0: No. Well, so it's he's got. Rich has this one famous headshot of his. And I said, "Do you have any others?" He's like, "That's it, buddy. That's what we got to work with." And so. I worked with a digital like design artist to help us like create that image. And I thought it came out really cool. I just think that's what we look like, but they like put a new shirt on Rich. I thought it was pretty funny. He's like, dude, this came out, he told me he liked it, but anyway, we'll have oh, to no, ask I de- him. No, I definitely opinion. like it. I like it. And yesterday was a
1: really cool day because I listened to the podcast. Okay, And I also had such great appreciation for the producing, the directing, the implementation of our podcast. And that is solely on your shoulders. Um, You're doing a fantastic job with this. And I think what is so cool is I don't care if one person listens to this or a hundred people listen to this. The fact that we get to spread our message out there, speak with the candor that we preach that we have, that clients hear us, that prospective clients who maybe are interviewing multiple advisors and they think, well, I can hear what these guys have to say. Uh, we have a voice for that. As I ended my day yesterday, again, it started with a, a, you know running some errands at noon to uh, grab some lunch and listening to the podcast, I ended my day with a client meeting and shout out to Wendell and Stephanie who said at the end of that meeting, no, we don't talk about podcasts in our client meetings. We're talking about finance and retirement and all of these things. And he said, hey, I haven't quite caught up yet with all of the episodes, but I'm getting pretty close. And to hear that someone in our network just listens, enjoys maybe picks up a tidbit of finance here or there, I think more importantly, sees who we really are as people, the struggles we go with from a mental health standpoint or things that we're trying to improve on. Uh, are th- this is an avenue that we get to share those things. And again, not just talk about finance. Today is about finance. So if, you're, if you're prepared today you to listen, John talking about how is, what his mindset is, we're going to throw that out the window. We're going ones and zeros today, buddy.
0: We're doing it. We're doing it. So yeah, five minutes in, this has been a love fest and we're, we have a lot of gratitude, which gain and grounded. That was our podcast last time. So this feels like a nice extension of it, but we are going to switch gears to numbers a little bit. How about a thousand downloads per episode, Matt? Because that's what we had on episode 14. Episode 14 was when it comes to your budget, you don't want to fudge it. It was you, me and Rich. And we did a deep dive at probably longer than we're going to do today. I think today will be about 30 minutes, but we're going to be talking about budgeting. And I know that's like not a fun and that is not an exciting word in the finance world, but it's also the most important one, right? Like it's the thing, it's everything starts there. Like saving and growing your assets and being able to retire, like all of that goes back to your budget and what you do. And I heard this like phrase a long time ago, like when I started in the industry and it was, you know, you should be looking at like your long-term big picture finances with the telescope, but your day-to-day finances under a microscope, and that's a little bit, I think, well, I don't know, you tell me how you feel about it, but that's a little bit of yeah. what we're going to do today is trying to uncover the budget stuff and make it not so daunting of a task for people.
1: Yeah. And I sort of, as I was preparing for it today, I was thinking this is talking to a gym owner about how great it is to work out, right? Yeah. Okay. You have all of the tools at your fingertips. You do this for a living. Of course you love. It. I just, did it. we're shooting this episode today. It's the second of the month. I did my budget, man. It was, that is my ASMR, right? That's you still- putting a piece <laughs> That's putting of the pieces of the puzzle together for me and my budget coming together for that month and looking at my spending and calculating what the next month looks like, man, that is like my happy place. And I know it is not everyone's happy place, but as John just mentioned a second ago, along with organizing your finances, budgeting comes right underneath that because you can't budget unless you have organization. You're really so, not
0: lying though. That's your happy place. Like you, I you love it. I, like I, I remember this is 10 plus years ago. This is like before I had children. I, we had office, you know, our offices were right next to each other and I came to the office one morning. It was the first of the month. I'm like, hey man, what's going on? What you doing? He's like, first of the month doing my budget. I was like, God, it's so weird. But you love <laughs> That's it. Li- That's your system. I you have love to find it find a now- system. That's what we're going to talk about today. You got to find a system. I agree with
1: that. And the system is what I think loving is seeing those numbers all come together and putting a plan, which there should be a plan and coming. To- and I think the three things that we probably should discuss today is the who are you? Because I think there's very, two very distinct groups of people who need to have a budget. And that is two very different types of budgets. So we're gonna talk about the who. We're gonna talk about the why. Why should you be budgeting? And we have some very specifics there. And I think we're gonna end with the how you should budget. And we're gonna use ourselves here. We're gonna put ourselves out there on the line, talk about best practices. I really want you to take something away from this, even if it's one or two pieces of something you can do to approve it, because this is the most fundamental, as you've heard me talk about, it's the most fundamental component of financial planning. It all starts with the budget. Again, right after organization, because you got to be able to organize it. So maybe let's start with that, John, is sure. the who. And in our opinion, and again, we'll kind of go back and forth on this, but I think there's two very distinct groups of people. There are the accumulators, those that are in the working years of their lives. And then I think there's a second group of people who are the retirees. There are two very different ways to budget for both of those because there is a major difference for the retirees. Income is no longer coming in, and we can no longer make any mistakes. In that accumulation years, we are still maybe buying our first home, and we are still uh, stumbling through life a little bit from a financial standpoint. We we have have a lot of time on our hands. So if we make a few mistakes on the front end of it, usually we can dig our way out of those. Those retirees, though, this is the most theoretically that we're going to ever have in our pot of money. And we've got to make sure that we have a very strong budget uh, so that we can both protect ourselves from the longevity of life and also from when life rears its ugly head and something pops up and we need a place to go to, to get that. So I think we talk about first is what phase of life, as you're listening to this, are you in right now? And we kind of start at that point.
0: Not to blend the two of those together, but I find with a lot of folks that we work with, when we're inside of this five-year runway to getting to retirement, let's say that they're in their mid fifties. I'm just making that up, but you're in this five-year runway. There's a little bit of blend of both worlds because you're still in this accumulation phase. Like you're growing and you can cover up budgetary or financial mistakes with disposable income. You know, like I'll just make more, I'll earn more. And usually for those people, they're on the back nine of the, like they're at the, they're at their peak earning years leading up to retirement for many of them. And so, They get in this habit in those final few years before retirement hits where they kind of just, oh man, we made a mistake. We spent a little too much on a family vacation whatever. It's no big deal. Disposable income will cover that and we'll catch up to it later. And then it gets really hard because they were probably diligent for many years. And then there's this little weird blended window and then they retire. And then it gets really hard because now you've got to go back to sticking to that strict budget for what your portfolio can provide and social security and all those different things that happen for a retiree. So it's very different life so not to counter that but i think there's also like a blended world for folks that are almost at that retirement phase but yeah that five-year window john mm-hmm. is actually incredibly
1: important and that's probably yeah. where getting into the weeds of it is like is there some things you need to do in that five-year window and there definitely are and that's that that's that five-year window when you're starting to clean things up mm-hmm. to prepare for retirement right you're trying to get the debt maybe paid off you're trying to get Again, the budget under control. You're trying to make sure that the investments are structured in a proper way because you have very little time to make up for any major issues in that five-year prior to retirement window. And that's honestly the sweet spot we try to get to our clients is that five-year window is really when the work starts. We've had plenty of people. In fact, we had one last year that came to us a month, a year away from retirement and wanted to do some things. And our advice was you know, we can help you with that. But really what you want to do, we needed to start that process about four years ago to prepare for the retirement. Things take time in finance. It doesn't happen very, you know, it doesn't happen instantly. And when we're trying to do maybe some advanced planning, we need time to be able to make those things happen. And that was one case I know in particular we were working on together that we're like, we can help you, but the, really we could
0: have helped you even more about four and a half years ago. Yeah. I think the issue for most people is that budgeting is. Well, for me, I find it to be a very reactionary thing. Like a lot of times you're going back in time, you're looking at what your expenses were and you're going, okay, great, like that already happened. Now I'm playing catch up because now I got to pay off credit cards for you know some maybe bad decisions that I made you know in the prior months or just like life happened and I had to put things on credit cards. So A, it ends up being very reactionary and B, I find that most people tend to have avoidance around the things that they identify as like they're not good at. So if you're not good at something, you're not going to necessarily lean into learning more about that. You're just going to kind of perpetuate this narrative in your own mind of I'm not good at budgeting. Like I, that's, I hear that so many times from folks I work with and not like even just friends that like we talk about money stuff and they're like, I'm just not, that's just not my speed. I'm not good at that stuff. And it's, again, I think my message here is it's such a critical aspect to how to try to get ahead in your finances and like actually plan. I think it's really important. Is there anything on the, yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, that's kind of where the why comes into the picture. Okay. Because I think when I often talk to people about how important budgeting is, without the why, just saying something is important doesn't really uh, maybe invoke the sense of urgency to implementing. And I think the why behind it becomes important. And so if we take these two tracks that we're talking about, and we're going to keep using maybe the same language, but if we talk about the accumulator, the why behind it is there's really two whys. It's Mm -hmm. we need to save for retirement. At some point, you're going to want to stop working. So we have this very long-term goal that we're trying to achieve. And at that same time, we have a very short-term goal. What happens if we have the need to replace the air conditioner? Or we have a deductible to pay on our insurance because something's happened? Or something just comes up, there's a health? We need to have two very distinct buckets of money as an accumulator. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's the first place we start is the why. We want to save for retirement, and there's a few vehicles that we have to do that, right? So we have your company retirement plan, and maybe that's your 401k, a 403b if you work in the public sector. If you're self-employed, there's a couple of options using a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, or some effective method there. And that really helps us save for that long-term road. Now, Let's talk about percentages so what's the proper percentage that we start with and i normally start with right around 10 percent of my income should go there john you kind of use that same number with the folks you're talking to
0: talk mine's to a higher mine's 15 percent. but i do think i think that's actually can i say something back on the why because i feel like we're going into the how with percentages yeah. so i think a why for a lot of people is and this is just in my world, at my age, I'm in my mid 30s. We're in this accumulation phase. We have kids, we have a dog, we have a house. Like we're growing, like our family is growing and building. And there's this very incessant desire to the point where, like, there, there's a term for this, and it's called keeping up with the Joneses. So I think a lot of people identify with this, whether actually you're in retirement. I think this is still happening for retirees. Like we have clients that succumb to this pressure too. But that term came has been around for a very long time. Interestingly, before. Instagram and Facebook and social media was around, like that was the vernacular of you know comparing yourself to your neighbor or like your local community. It's even worse now. Like we're in 2024 and it's like the amount of people that do Instagram flexes on their finances or like the things they have, like the physical possessions they have. And so you get pulled into that loop. And for me, one of the whys is having a budget in place puts these guardrails around for yourself to not feel enticed, oh, you know what? Like you might be a realtor or you might be an insurance or like some kind of service profession or, or sales, like a commission-based where you had a really good year. And you're like we had a really good year. Like we deserve it. And you deviate from your guardrails, from your budget that you've put in place for yourself or worse yet, you don't even have one because you think like, all right, we had a great year. Like we deserve it. We earned it. Let's go buy a BMW. Let's do, like whatever the case is. And you end up sort of falling trap to these Instagram flexes, or like keeping up with the Joneses. Like it's harder than ever now because we see that everywhere like you open your phone and you see this so for me that's one of the whys is making sure almost like a budget i feel like protects yourself from yourself like from maybe some emotional or illogical decisions one might make because you're and by the way i think this again this happens in retirement too it's not just in the phase of life matt that that your family and my family's in it's like this can happen across the board so that's definitely why but for for me anyway but so going back to the how you know you're kind of you're starting with the end of mind of targeting what is that savings percentage what should that be i yeah. always tell people it's kind of relative to their circumstance but that's the beauty of like percentages instead of dollar amounts because you know the percentages are relative like it's scalable to whatever your number is i start with 15 maybe it's because yeah. i like pushing people i'm like the i'm like the personal trainer in the gym that's like, five more reps i know your personal trainer said never enough reps. i'm doing 15 reps yeah 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 and i
1: love that and i think the 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 Starting place is probably less important as long as it's being started because, you know, you want to save long-term and that's a goal. But I think what's even more important is that short-term savings. So we talk about in our office having, for those accumulators, three distinct buckets of money. We have the long-term, which we just talked about a second ago. And that'd be your qualified plan at work. We're going to skip the middle one for now because it's the least important. And I think we go next to the short-term bucket of money. And the short-term bucket of money really starts to come back into the budget conversation because the short-term bucket of money is meant to be sitting there for when something comes up in life that you don't have to take a loan out for or it doesn't financially destroy you. We need a pot of money that is sitting, not invested, sitting, earning whatever interest we can possibly get right now as this is being shot. I think that goes to the budget, and I think that number is incredibly important because when you're looking at your budget, and again, we're going to get into the details here in a moment. But when you look at your budget, I look at my variable expenses and my fixed expenses. And the way I define those internally as the fixed expenses are the things that have to get paid no matter what. And inside of this short-term bucket of money, my goal is to have six months worth of that money sitting in a money market account earning nothing. And listen, Once that money is filled, once that bucket is filled, I don't really need to fill it anymore unless I have a five thousand dollar deductible for or have to go put a new AC unit in. And the next free dollar that I have goes to filling and paying myself back. Hmm. You can't achieve that until you fill that bucket up. And it's the hardest one to do because everyone again wants to save for tomorrow, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but they're forgetting that things are going to pop up
0: and that you need to be able to borrow it from yourself rather than borrow it from a bank. So, Matt's referring to the emer- like having an emergency fund. And I typically tell people, Matt, like three to 12 months, such a big range. <laughs> and there's a reason for that because I, you know, three to six months is if you research this, that's sort of the commonly accepted knowledge. I think, Matt, for you, your family, and for mine as well, six months makes a lot of sense. We're, you know, we own our own business. There's other risks there. Whereas if you're, a family with two w2 employees coming in like a you know husband and wife or a couple that has two w2s maybe you feel a little more comfortable with less but what's interesting and why my why mine has changed from like 3 to 12 months is i find that a lot of retirees specifically especially if they're risk averse like knowing cuz when you're in that phase of life it, you're relying on this pot of mo- this retirement dollars that we're talking about saving towards you're relying on that bucket of money right well if there's market volatility within that, you know you've got a 12-month buffer until you get that. So that advice also just depends situationally. It makes sense six for you or for me, perhaps. But there are some families that three make sense for, and there are families that 12 make sense for. There's a range there. But I was curious I think what you're the actual is. percentage or dollar
1: amount is, I use that just so that we can pin a number to it. I want to yeah. just see something set aside. Yeah. The amount of people we talk to that have... A month's worth or not even of savings, not that's in a 401k, not that's in a brokerage account with investments, is sometimes scary to me. And it's really not dependent on how much money you make. Mm -hmm. Today, I have meetings. I have two meetings today. One is a CEO of a large company here in town, and the other is a personal friend of mine who are beginning their financial journey, and I'm providing some advice to them. The Both of those conversations today, we're going to talk about budgeting, and we're talking Mm -hmm. about one that's making High six figures, probably closer even into seven, and one that's still beginning their financial journey and starting to save and starting to build those things up in life. The same conversation is going to happen for me. Behind it, it, again, behind the scenes, I don't care what the number is. You got to have something sitting in that emergency savings, or else you're going to. Where else do you go when something yeah. pops up in life and that, that you need to you need to get to money?
0: yeah i'd like to add to this so we've talked about two big things so far your like your target savings goal or your savings percentage let's say let's stick with 15 like my scenario for example what matt's saying is if you don't have whatever your target emergency fund is which is you know for him it's 6 months of fixed and variable expenses in a savings account that's where that that's where that's the first tranche of dollars you should be building up so whatever you identify if your savings target is 15 percent, that 15 percent should be going towards working that goal until you meet that goal once you've met that goal then it's time and you're ready to be able to move on to other stuff something i tell people a ton is don't be discouraged by my number when i tell them in a meeting like you need to be targeting 15 percent. some families have even told 20 so don't i see the look on your face what but you need to be targeting 15%. We go through this exercise, and this is really important. The exercise of awareness of putting your budget together just to see what it actually is. What actually is it? National average is like 4.9%. That's the national average in the United States for savings rate. So maybe you do this whole exercise and you're like, man, I'm at five. John says I should be at 15. Matt says I should be at 10 or 15, whatever. Like Either way, I'm not there. I tell people a lot, oftentimes like, not to be discouraged by that. This is the goal to work up towards. You're at five right now. Great, we've identified that. No one wants advice from me to tell them like, you need to stop going to Starbucks, you need to stop eating out. And maybe that is true, but I trust that most people can like self, be self-aware enough to regulate that situation. But a lot of times what I do tell people is, hey, listen, you know, it's year end. You're going to get a merit-based increase on your salary. You're going to get a bonus. Like these things are going to happen. And this is not that it's found money, but it's new cash flow coming into you. So if you make $100,000, you get a 5% bump of your pay. That's $5,000. That's $5,000 of new dollars that you weren't previously getting. Let's try to recapture as much of that as we can and force that savings percentage to go up from 5 to 8% or 5% to 9% or whatever the case is for their situation. Let that be an exercise of awareness, not discouragement. Because when I tell people that sometimes 15 is their target, I can see that look of frustration wash over them where they're like, John, we're nowhere near that like, it's okay. That's what you're working towards. And that might take a few years and accept that and be okay with that. But the budget shouldn't be like a shaming activity. It's like, you're just really trying to create awareness.
1: Yeah. And I I, knew, I hear what you're saying. I have that sometimes too, in these meetings where it's like, we have, me and John have all of our stuff together. Do you and me struggle with our budget sometimes? Oh yeah. I'm going to be very candid when we get to the next part in further detailing the how zero uh, percent of the time, do I hit exactly my budget? It's meant to be like you said, this exercise in awareness. Hey, if we went out a little bit too much or did a little bit too much spending, I need to be able to identify that. And I need people to, to know that next month, we got to rein that back in. Yeah. That, that sentence alone is truly the definition of budgeting, is being aware of how much you're spending and where it's going. And so I agree. And, and I know that sometimes it sounds like we are the personal trainers who own a gym, have all of the gym equipment around us and are telling you, All you need to do is work out more. That's sort of the mentality and I get that too sometimes. So I think humanizing it and talking about our own personal budgets and how we do it really does make it so that you can see it's important, you need to be aware of it and you're not going to hit it on the nail on the head every single time. You just need to know where your money is going.
0: Hey there, you're awesome for tuning into the show. Do you want bite-sized daily doses of above-board content delivered straight to your Amazon Alexa? Subscribe to CanterPath 365 and enjoy our daily brief featuring market updates, relevant financial news, and mini clips from yours truly on this podcast, as well as Rich and Matt. Visit CanterPath365.com to sign up. So i'm excited to talk about my how and i want to hear yours but before that let's just recap so we've identified a couple of important things making sure you have a target savings rate and making sure you you're you have your emergency bucket funded to whatever level makes sense for you for matt his numbers are six percent or six months in his emergency fund and coaching clients on targeting about 10 percent of a savings rate for me it's six months and 15 percent. so we vary a little bit but that's not a big deal So those two things are really important. How do you actually, do you use an app to track it? Do you use a spreadsheet? Do you do pen and paper? What's your methodology? Because it's not a wrong one, but I think people would like to know what does a CFP do to monitor their budget?
1: Yeah, great question. And as the owner of a financial planning firm, co-owner with my buddy here, as we have a piece of software that costs us five figures a year that we use for all of our planning. And it's a very robust piece of software, but one of the elements is that- (laughs) I've never heard someone talk-
0: Five figures, but I had to do, I was like, what? Okay. Yeah, I know the number." <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not cheap, right? <laughs> it's
1: part of what we do, but we have a piece of software that we use that has a full budgeting. Does the CFP sitting here use that? No, I use Excel spreadsheets. I have used it since 2002 when I created my first budget. I still have that Excel spreadsheet. I have now 400 tabs, I feel like on it. And every year I use that, but I use that in conjunction with a very important other tool which is compartmentalizing my money. And I think that's where you and I can probably spend a little bit of time talking about that, but I don't need fancy stuff. And you listen, if fancy stuff is what you need, we have a tool available for that. There are free apps out there that will connect your checking account and savings accounts and credit cards to a tool that will use some AI to separate out what you spent your money on. Those for me, I just never, too much of it I needed to move around in my own different sets of buckets and I couldn't find something that just hit the nail on the head. So I use something as simple as Excel spreadsheets and those make me happy. And I use those every single month and throughout the month to see where I'm at in, in terms of spending. But as I mentioned, there's a second very important tool in a way that makes it easier to aggregate that data. And I'll talk about that here in a moment. What's your tool, John?
0: Uh, well, what's your? I'm curious what your second tool is. My small, well, I can't tell that right now. You I can't want to tell hear, that. Okay. how all do right. you I answer? I think our answer might be the same though. That's why I was asking. Okay. So, okay. so my answer is we use a, a Google sheets similar to you, but we do, we only do that exercise once a year with our Google sheets. So that's, we look back at the past year, that's the reactionary part and we see, okay, what on average, what do we spend on grocery, on entertainment, on di- date nights, whatever. <clears throat> and we have all these categories and then we try to project for the year, because I know some of those things are going to go up. I mean, inflation, I mean, obviously that's been a topic of conversation and in the news for the last year and a half about inflation. So these things have gone up. So we try to then target, okay, what do we think it's going to be in the coming year? Um, Assign some of those increases, either situationally based on inflation or just our life circumstances. And And so that's sort of the guardrails that we try to stick to on a monthly basis. How we monitor and track it we use an app. So I'm very, I would much prefer to use technology to my advantage here. So we use an app to try to stick to that, those rules that we set forth for our year in the Google Sheets. And uh, that's, it's one that we offer to clients. It's called your MyPath Client Dashboard. That's the one that Jackie and I use, but it's really great. I think another thing that's been very helpful for us is we've separated out our fit, we call it our fixed expenses and our flexible expenses. Or as Matt described it earlier, your variable. And so we have those flow through on two different, two different cards, or you know, one's on a debit card, and one's on a credit card, but those come through separately because I'd like I like to I know my fixed number, like that's not changing. I know what that's going to be month in and month out. That looks like that's easy stuff that you can think of, like your mortgage, your electric, your water. It might not be easy, but you know, those are things easy things to think about. And then your variable, your flexible ones, that stuff's changing every single month. And so I want to live look in real time because then I can look at my Google sheets and say, all right, you know, my target was X per month. This month I was over, but next month we're projected to be under. Are we averaging what that target was? So I find the physical separation of how I view my fixed expenses and my flexible expenses have been game changing for our life because it's just, it's, Dude, I mean, the amount of Amazon purchases in our house, like I, everyone listening to this is the same, like stuff comes to my door from Amazon and I open it and I'm surprised because I forgot that I ordered something the two days ago. So to to try to figure out what your flux, once all that gets commingled, it's really hard. So that's a nice physical separation <laughs> yeah. for us. And then we use an app to to track it all. Yeah, I love that. And I think,
1: you know, we're kind of dicing the pie different ways. It's just how we do it. Yeah. The same, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we, again, I did separate my variable expenses and my fixed expenses, fixed expenses, super easy. It's those things that, that a have to be paid and B are the same throughout the entire year. Super easy. Those are one element of the budget. The second element is that variable expense. And for that, I use credit cards and I know spending up can be very dangerous, but we are very disciplined in our household about how we spend. John, I know you like to spend down, which I really like that philosophy for those that are. And I'm not saying you're struggling with your budget, but those that struggle with a budget, spending to zero is much easier than having an unlimited credit card. But we're very disciplined in our family. Well, Can I just I find... explain
0: what that means for a listener, though? Yeah, or of do course. you want to yeah, that? It. Like it's, it's just the difference between putting expenses on a debit card versus putting expenses on a credit card. Because in theory, like when you look at your credit card balance, that balance is just going up; it's a, it's accruing in value, and then you pay that off each month with a debit card. You might have, you know, whatever in that account, two thousand dollars in that account for that month, and you're spending down against a number. And when it hits zero, whereas you have much more flexibility with credit cards. I just find that whole system with points and credit cards like that was designed for a reason. That's to get you to spend more. And on average, most families spend probably about 15%. There's data out there that suggests you spend about 15% less when you kind of view things from a spend down philosophy versus a spend up. That being said, Matt, I still have a credit card. We can talk about that. But that's yeah, I, I wanted to clarify you that. Do. So, so what's, what's he talking about? Yeah, but I
1: do the same thing what you do. But you, and I don't know if you explain this, but you actually have savings accounts or various accounts where these yeah. very I thought that might be too out. much
0: for today, but yes, you're right. Yeah,
1: and we won't yeah. go to the 19 different checking accounts you have that, uh, that you're escrowing. So money comes in, you get your paycheck, and you say, okay, well, 100 bucks goes into this account because that's our vacation account, and 100 bucks goes over here because that's our escrow for taxes or whatever it is. I'm using the same thing, but I use four credit cards. And I don't lump everything into one. I think that's where a lot of the mistakes get made when you're talking about using a credit card or using points. I'm not going for points. I'm going for being able to compartmentalize the money. And those four credit cards are broken out towards a gas and grocery card. The only thing that goes on this credit card is gas and groceries. And I can see throughout the month where we're spending on those. And as inflation or as gas prices move up or down, I can see what that number is in real time knowing that the only thing that's going on that card is gas and groceries so that's the first one we have the second card that we have is for subscriptions okay cuz this one and i think this is more of a problem as of maybe the last i don't know 3 or 4 years but everything these days are is a subscription based right no one's buying anything we're spending 50 bucks a month on our you know on our spotify's and our you know netflix and all those things so i have a dedicated credit card that the only thing that goes on it is an element that has a subscription to it. And what I find is really helpful with this method is that as those subscriptions change, or as I identify we're not using something, it's not lumped into the budget and buried somewhere deep uh, in the budget, and I can never find it, I can't cancel it. What I've also found is that when there is fraud on a credit card, um, I'll talk about the last card here in a moment, but it's our general spending, and there was fraud recently on that, when you have to go to cancel that card, I don't want there to be anything that has a subscription assigned to it because I don't want to start that whole process all over again. So again, our second card is a card that has only subscriptions on it. And those subscriptions are from a gym membership, uh, things for the kids, after school activities, those those types of uh, uh, expenses. And like I said, uh, all of our cable, internet, those types of things that are subscription based. So a card for that. We do have a card dedicated for Amazon because I agree with you, John. I was tired of getting those boxes in the mail. and being like, what? now, where did this go? We have an entire card that's only for Amazon purchases. Exactly. So you know how easy it is to click that button. And throughout the month, I know what our budget is for Amazon. And if we have blown through that budget, I know that next month, that number must come down in order for us to hit our savings goals. And that's as simple as it comes. And the last card that we have, number four, is general spending. And I feel like 2020 was no better example that in March of 2020, the unknown was happening. It was a fantastic... Te- it was a horrible time. I'm not making light of it, but it was a fantastic test for all of our budgets when we didn't know what was going to happen the next day. The economy was shutting down. The country was shutting down. We were dealing with this horrible thing. And I said to Lauren, hey, the spending card, which by the way, I needed a, a a PowerPoint presentation for Lauren to understand all of this. She is not, she's a writer. So she's what card do I use for what, Matt? I'm so confused, but we have it down now. But I said, hey, the card that's for general spending doesn't come out of either one of our wallets right now. You know, our subscriptions, we can kind of continue and we'll monitor that. We don't know what tomorrow holds. That single card does not get spent right now until we can figure out what's happening in the world. And I find that if having it all in one spot, I'm able to say, hey, that card doesn't come out of either one of our wallets, obviously, unless something major comes up. And that's a big chunk of, you know, unknown expenses can kind of come from there. So again, by using four systems of where I find that people overspend the most eating out, you know, Amazon purchases and subscriptions, you know, the general spending card is really the only one that I need to keep an eye on very close to make sure that doesn't get out of a range. And then again, there is an account for escrowing for vacations and some annual expenses. Listen, we just talked about how bad Christmas is for everyone in their budget. Guess what, guys? Next year, Christmas is going to come at the same time. Next year, our kids' birthdays are going to come at the same time. Our anniversaries are going to come at the same time next year. Let's not wait for that month to have a lot of spending. Maybe let's have a side account that we start escrowing and see what did we spend last year in those areas. And we know generally that's going to happen again here in 2024. And We probably need to plan for that as well.
0: Yeah, I love that. What I enjoy about this dialogue is we have two different ways that we go about it in terms of maybe how we view credit cards versus you know debit cards and such but at the end of the day it's kind of we're fundamentally saying the same things you know we're creating a physical separation of some of these expenses for us to be able to track and monitor a little more easily we both use excel google sheets same thing how i use that slightly different and i do using apps and tools to help me track and monitor just because it's easier like that just that makes it easier but I would really preach for folks that physical separation of those different kind of expenses. For us, it's fixed versus future. I think or flexible, rather, is so critical. Matt, as we're wrapping up, so there's a couple of things I want to mention. I, if we could leave folks with, uh, th- I think, three rules to think about when it comes to their budget. I want to do that. So think on that. I'll give you a little bit of time and I'll keep talking. And also, we haven't released it yet, but in the next 60 days, we're going to be releasing uh, an e-course where we go much deeper on all of these things. It's going to be a no-cost situation. So let us know if it's something that you're interested in. But the whole purpose of this is to kind of help people track their money flows and figure out a plan so that they can do a lot of what you're talking about, Matt, like escrowing for birthday presents and vacations and Christmas gifts and being prepared for the emergency medical bill that comes up where it messes up your entire month's cash flow. And then more importantly, just like tracking your daily expenses. So we're excited about that. That's going to be released in here in the next 60 days or so, uh, as long as Matt approves it and thinks it's good. (laughs) I'm sure it's (laughs) going to be great, buddy. All right, so what? So I have one rule. I'll start. My first rule is a 24-hour rule. 24-hour rule. Big expense. So in our household, any expense, any expenditure that's over $500, we wait one day. 24-hour rule. Because a lot of times, you know, this is like the keeping up with the Joneses, like Instagram, like do we need it or do we want it? Does it fit into our budget this month? Let's just give it a beat. Give it 24 hours. If we're still on our hearts, for whatever reason, our family needs this, then we'll talk about it in a day. That's my first rule.
1: Oh, I like that. I like, I think what I like is finding the correct balance of living for today and saving for tomorrow, because none of us know how long we're going to be here. The last thing we want to do is not spend any money and live in our shell here and not go out and experience life, not have experiences. And those take money in a lot of senses, yet at the same time, make sure that there is enough put away so that when you want to stop working or retirement does become a possibility, you're not working yourself into the ground and at a point where you think, this is it, I'm just going to have to work for forever. So trying to find that balance between today and tomorrow, I think for me is what drives my budget on a
0: day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's a good point. I have one that kind of ties on to what you just said, which is identify your current savings rate. Just figure it out. Just figure out what that number is. And so by the way, that could be, money that you're putting away into your savings account like your emergency account that matt talked about that could be money going into your company retirement plan or iras and roth iras that could be additional money over and above your mortgage or you know if you're adding a little bit extra to the mortgage each month you're choosing to save that into something that's paying a debt down that's ultimately increasing your net worth so that can look like a lot of things a lot of people think it's like just the number going into their retirement plan at work that's not the case we're talking about all areas of which you're saving dollars. So just identify what that is. Is it 5%? Is it 15%? What Whatever the case is, just awareness around that's a really big one. Do you have one more? I like compartmentalize. I don't think yeah. you
1: can stress that enough. If you looked at the common, and I know you just said this, but I'm going to restate it. If you look mm-hmm. at the common thread between the two ways we accomplish our budget every month is that we don't have everything in a single checking account. and We don't have everything on a single credit card. That is a recipe for disaster. There is no way to see where things are going if it's just mashed into one location. Savings accounts are next to free these days. How many John do you have right now?
0: 13. <laughs> you have 13, 13 safe Now, again, this is the you're, um, you're the, opening up another can of worms that listeners are gonna be like, what the hell is he talking about? This
1: is the personal trainer who just says to work out more and you'll be fine. I get that, but you have 13. Now, let's just say the normal person doesn't have that many, but You, My point of illustrating this, I knew you had a lot, is have more, have savings accounts that are specified for specific things that you know are going to come up through life. It's next to free. If you like the credit card method and you're disciplined enough to spend up, then great. That's a great method as well. But for most people, I understand spending down, when that account hits zero at the end of the month, John, there's nothing that else can come out of that, right? It's over. Mm -hmm. That budget
0: for whatever item it is has no more. So compartmentalizing your money is absolutely critical i love that and join the e-course when we launch it because i go very deep into explaining the fixed the flexible and then the future accounts that we have and we have 13 in our house for savings accounts but again this goes back to that physical separation or distinction of dollars like one of them for example is a is an auto repair uh account and i want to know that i've got money set aside for when a tire blows and an issue happens we've talked about this on the podcast this happened last year like one tire blew we had to replace two and so it you know it's one of those expenses where that can really throw you for a loop and then what do you do? you borrow from your vacation account to pay for that so you're just kind of borrowing moving money around so prep preparing for those things now that takes a lot of work that's hard to do and we get that but we love we we love talking with people about that so gosh, i think there's the, only a
1: group of people who knew how to do it and willing to offer the advice on how to gosh only someone who would, knew how to do that maybe I try miss, calling us if you're struggling with your budget cuz love is. talking about it.
0: I, well, it I I miss having rich and hopefully we get him back on the show soon because the last time we did this he moderated between the two of us and it's funny because we did the same thing like we have differences yet similarities and we identified that uh through the last podcast that was like episode 14. so this is like uh that was back i know that was back in 2020 so now here we are four years later talking about how this is how it's evolved and but at the end of the day these principles still exist they're still important so gosh we appreciate everyone listening to us matt is there anything else that you wanted to wrap up with or are we good to, you know what i, I think we've go. beaten over
1: beaten everyone over the head enough How important budgeting is, how excited we're about budgeting and how it's just like the coolest thing ever. And I can't wait to do it every, the first of every month. It's the most exciting thing. No, Uh, have a plan, have someone to talk to about it and compartmentalize your money, organize it, do just be a good steward of your finances. Don't bury your head in the sand. It's the worst thing you can do. And look at, look those numbers right in the eye. And if they, if you don't like the way they feel, let's
0: make a change. Yeah. Be proactive is the word that I'm hearing. Be proactive with it. Don't, you said, bury your head in the sand. It's don't avoid something because you've created a narrative that you're not good at it. And so they're like, you almost don't have a choice. Like you might not be great at it, but you almost don't have a choice, but to do this. Like we all, this is all part of our lives that we have to create a budget and monitor our expenses. So, and there's so many, there's so many tools out there that, that can make it easy and simplify it for you. So, With that being said, we are wrapping. We will see everyone next Wednesday. We love doing these podcasts. Feel free to share and comment. We love that. We love the love. It's been, we took a month off, but now we're back at it every Wednesday with our refreshed show. So we will see you guys next week. Have a great day. Bye.